I think that being very intentional about what projects you you say yes to, I think is, is, is just really important, you know? So we, we try to, to find a balance between all of these where it's like, okay, if we're doing a lot of uh, web three focus initiatives right now, okay, cool. Who are we going to talk to? What, um, what talk are we going to, are you going to participate in or what, um, again, it's not just sales, I think is the point. And I think it's uh, because business, uh, the idea that artists are business, businesses themselves, artists are are entrepreneurs. Okay. And so um, if your art is your business, marketing is a huge part of that. And I think that there is this misconception where you can create artwork mint it and people will buy it and it's not that easy like you do need to have stories you need to be talking to people you need to be educating people as to why why they should care about your work like what 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 is behind it like what what are you trying to say and um, it can't just be i made it with code that's not enough hello sofia how are you hello i'm great i'm happy to be here thank you so much yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm really happy to, you know, have you in the show and, and learn and understand all your the, your journey and how was it like to, you know, found co-found Artex Code and back in 2018 and also all the all the things you have been up to recently. There are uh, amazing amazing releases and all your work with the initiative, right? Like the uh, girls who code and trying to to you know improve the the gender gap in technology. I think that's that's really important. But maybe let's start from from the beginning, Sophia. Can you can you tell us a bit how you got involved in in crypto, blockchain, art? A little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and thank you for the intro. I think uh, just sorry, it was a kind of a mix of a lot of different interests coming together, uh, kind of converging all at once. Um, I, when I was in college, I was kind of going back and forth of what I wanted to study, um, found myself in love with art history and uh, kind of just went all in, was obsessed with the arts. I was doing um, a lot of like murals and, and, and street art here in Miami at the time uh, with some friends of mine who are, are from Spain. And uh, it was a really great introduction to kind of just like seeing all these amazing artists kind of come together and, and build something. Uh, I then started working at a contemporary Chinese art gallery here in Miami, uh, but kind of during that time starting to see the the realizations of what it meant to work in the art world um, and kind of essentially like capping uh, what I was able to do in order to support myself. And so around that time, uh, you know, I had my dad always in my ear, like, you should be looking at coding, coding is the future, all these things. And, uh, you know, I, I found that there was a free coding class being offered at one of my local colleges, and I decided to check that out. And um, the, the the course was called CS50, uh, where we would watch uh, Harvard's uh, uh, introduction to computer science, and we would have a, a lecturer there in class, a professor that would go over everything, we would do the same homework, all these things. So um, I decided to give that a shot. And it completely changed my life. Uh, it was really scary at first. Of course, I'm coming from an arts background, um, really was never someone to be all into math, or at least that's your assumption of, of, um, of computer science. You're like, oh my God, it's math and it's crypto, like cryptographic. Like it seems very, very scary. So um, yeah, it just seems complicated, you know? So I was like, all right, but I leaned into it and um, it, it really changed the way I looked at really everything. We live in a very technological world and for the first time ever, uh, this thing that kind of just seemed to exist, I, I really saw uh, the people behind the scenes now for the first time where all these things that I engaged with on a daily basis that were powered by technology, I was like, oh my God, someone had to write those lines of code. Someone had to uh, you know, actually make that possible. It didn't just exist because without having the context, like it kind of just existed to me. Uh, and so that was a really big aha moment. And um, you know, being really into art history at that moment and you know, studying art movements, uh, I really kind of like took a step back and was like, oh my God, you know, the computer hasn't even been around for a hundred years. And so that moment was a really big uh just yeah, just it was it was pivotal, I would say, in like my entire trajectory. Uh, and so uh, during that class, I remember, you know, we'd had to do a final project. And my final project was um, well, I built a website covering like the history of art made with a computer and like the history of how we found ourselves creating uh, with 
computers. Uh, and so that kind of like kickstarted that fascination. And then I, I started volunteering at um, uh, this this nonprofit called Code Ella or Code Ella in English uh, that was based in Little Havana here in Miami. And the idea was working with, um, you know, kind of underserved communities and helping these girls uh, learn how to how to make websites and and help them out uh, quickly realizing that, you know, they didn't even really know how to use the computer. So I had to restructure that entire curriculum, really teaching them how to be good digital citizens. Uh, and then during that time, I decided to also start volunteering with Girls Who Code. And at that moment, what I was doing, because I was really interested in computer-generated art, um, I was actually teaching kind of history lesson, like workshops being like, this is the history of computer-generated art. And these are the things that you could do um, if you are interested in um, in art and you're obviously in a Girls Who Code program, so you want to code. Um, and I would teach them about Vera Molnar, kind of showing them like, and Lillian Schwartz, like these are women who have been here building, making creative, like doing artwork since the beginning. And this is around 2015, 2016. Um, and during that time, I met this woman, Amy Renshaw, who uh, saw me do this workshop and she was like, oh my God, I, I've been thinking about starting this nonprofit called Code Art. Um, we already teach young girls how to make art with code. And it was like an instant, like, let's let's do this. And so I came on to Artex, I mean, to, to Code Art as a, um, as the director of education, I set up the curriculum using P5 uh, and like processing JS uh, and, and things like that and taught all the workshops in those first uh, few years. Also around 2016, um, I started an Instagram account called artxcode.io. And that was essentially my Anon account where I could talk about my interest in new media and, and creative coding, which is really what we were calling it at the time, just creative coding. Um, none of that fancy fancy generative art. It was just like, yeah, creative coding, code, code art, whatever. And, uh, and it was just really fun. It was kind of, I know my friends in Miami could care less about what I was talking about in terms of uh, creative coding. And so this was kind of my outlet. Uh, no one had to know that it was me and it was great. Um, and so those first few years was really focusing on that nonprofit area and then just kind of building up this community online of people who were interested in all of this. And um, I had a really good friend of mine uh, He's actually a collector in this space, AC the Collector, who uh, is also really good friends with my family, and he was always really into to Bitcoin. And so in 2016, there was a Bitcoin hackathon, um, and I decided to to join it. Uh, I had been doing some coding already for like a year. Um, and so that, I would say, was like my first intro into actually working with crypto. Um, we won second place. We did a microtransaction billing API. Uh, and I won 1.5, yeah, I, I won 1.5 Bitcoin on my side once we split it all up. And so that was the first time that I, um, that I had to like download a Coinbase. Made money. I, oh. yeah, but like I had to make a Coinbase and like receive the money to receive it. Uh, yeah. but also it was kind of like, I mean. I spent the money. Let's be very, very clear. I do not still have 1.5 Bitcoin. I was like a college student <laughs> like, trying to figure it out. I bought a, like a proper like Latin girl. I bought a Faja with my Bitcoin. I don't know if, any, if you know what a Faja is. Anyone that's it's basically a, a waist. Faja, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a waist trainer that I bought on some like shady website that bought things on Amazon because that's what I wanted. And then I bought a flight to go visit my sister in New York. That was like what I and that was pretty. After that, it was pretty much like. That 1.5 Bitcoin was was gone. Um, so I mean, I, I kept a little bit of it, but you know, that was kind of like what their big warning was like. This yeah, could go I know. Down to many nothing. stories. Yeah. But I mean, look, but at least you got to spend it. You got to spend it. Many people just left it somewhere and never, never. Dad, my dad had the did chance. that. He like lost all of his. He lost all of it. Um, he like wrote it down on a little paper, and he has who who knows where it is. Um, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like during that time, it was really great. But then I ended up getting a, I was making websites for people also on the side uh, to make some make some money. And during this time, uh, a woman that I had been working with applied for a job at JP Morgan. And during her interview, she brought me up. I know this girl, da da da. And all of a sudden, I got a message being like, uh, I just referred you for a job at JP Morgan. And I was like, why like that's so weird. like okay um and so i sent over my portfolio and then the next thing i knew um i was working at jp morgan uh i was an engineer there for like to get started uh working mostly like on you know different websites but doing a lot of like data visualization and um, like interaction design type of stuff um and that was really fun. And but once I started working there, I finally had some extra income. So these artists that I was finding online or just like 
through that artics code uh instagram i started reaching out to be like hey can i collect some of your artwork you know so um i first started collecting work from uh tyler hobbs he was probably the first artist that i really just like went all in on especially with his his plotter works um and then after that i started reaching out to dimitri Cherniak uh to collect works from him and that was really fun because he had a different process where he would send you know I would he would upload something but then he would like send me uh different outputs and kind of like let me choose or I would say hey can like we actually do this one with like more circles or and so it was really a collaboration in that way uh kind of how we think about art blocks where like you're you know you you mint it but it's kind of like yours it was kind of like that same thing that you could kind of work with him to pick. So long story short, um, or just long story, long story. Um, you know, I started, I decided that, uh, um, uh, kind of all these interests came together to finally form Artix code, but it was actually, I, there's no way of cutting around the, the corners here. I had a friend of mine, uh, um, recommend I go to this like art crypto event in New York, the, a coworker of mine at, at JP Morgan, because he's like, I know you you talk about crypto, you like art, you should go check this out. So I took the day off of work and I went to this event. Um, it was uh, the New Art Academy and they announced that they were going to be organizing this event called the uh, Contemporary and Digital Art Fair. And that was gonna be going live in a few months in 2019. So this was around 2018 uh, that I heard about this. And at that moment I had been collecting some artworks and I was like, oh shoot, um, you know, the, I think a, a, a booth was $75. So I was like, I have $75, um, you know, like I, wasn't I'm, that expensive. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know what, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put some works up. And so, uh, yeah, I decided to put the works up from Tyler and Dimitri. And this is where I called, uh, Se Sebastian Sanchez who's one of my best friends since I was, we're, we're Cuban cousins. Our cousins are cousins. We've been family since we've, since we've known each other and he had been working in the art world at that time and so i asked him like i please like join forces with me let's do this um and let's put on a an awesome show and so without him i would have, ne have never been able to do that um and so we came together we put on this art show and we did not in a million years expect us to sell the show but we did and after that it was like okay I guess I sell art now and um, I will stop there. Uh, but that was because I know there's a lot of questions, but that's kind of like the way that it all came together. No, that's an amazing, amazing story. I mean, first, it, it feels like you were involved in many, many initiatives, right? Like you were a very curious person, but also you were connecting your, your passions, right? So that's a very, very interesting. So my first question is, how did you actually um, discover Tyler and Dimitri? Because let me tell you a, a quick story. I, I, you know, I write this newsletter that I, I try to to grow, grow the email list, and I've been trying different things. Right, I, I've been posting my articles in Reddit, in Twitter, of course, and once I tried with Pinterest, right? So this very popular website for pictures and, and different things. And I found some posts from Tyler Hobbs back in 2015, I think 2014, in P on Pinterest. And he was sharing his uh, generative art, his coded art. So I was, oh, look, Tyler was here seven, eight years before. So, so I, I was wondering how it was for, for, for Tyler and Dimitri, you know, in the early days. And how, how did you actually uh, discover them online? Was there like a particular place or, or yes. how was it? Um... Instagram. Instagram used to be our best friend. So, um, you know, I was always, I just always found myself uh, searching hashtags more than anything. So um, I started, and I, I was always very, anytime I posted something, I would do hashtag Artix code. So that I found that people, people started realizing that I was sharing work that I thought was cool online. And so then they would use the hashtag Artix code, but always looking through the hashtag creative coding of uh, the creative coding hashtag uh, JavaScript P5 and just everyday scout. And then when I worked at JP Morgan, it was even worse. I would start my day, get my coffee, sit down before I even looked at my emails. I was going through all the hashtags and finding an artwork that I was going to post that day. It was like a great escape from like the realities of like my very corporate uh, job. And so it was just kind of this fun thing that I did, but Instagram was really where I found all of these artists. And it was fun because again, I was anonymous. So I did not care. I was, 
finding artwork. I was commenting on them like heart, heart, heart. Like this is amazing, super cool. Like, and it was just one of those things that like no one had any idea who was behind it. It was actually really funny. I would always get messages like, hey bro, like this is super cool. Like keep it up. Like, like what's up dude? And like everyone just thought I was this random guy doing it, which I, lo I low-key loved. I love that everyone thought that I was a guy. Um, and it wasn't until later that I finally kind of like doxed myself, but, and that's a whole other funny story. But, um, you know, it, yeah, Instagram, Instagram was the way. Instagram, Instagram. And I mean, you, you mentioned that you had this uh, job at JP Morgan where you were doing uh, technical, you were coding, building uh, different kind of visuals. And then you went to this fair and you sold out the first show, right? The first show was sold out. So did you actually quit immediately or was it like a process Did you start like doing other shows or you decide, okay, I will quit JP Morgan now no, and no, no, go no. ahead all in? <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I stayed at JP Morgan for a while. Um, this was really like a, for me, it was something I had always envisioned, like, okay, this could go somewhere. But remember in 2018, mm. 2019, like there really wasn't a market for it. I thought that it was going to be another few years before people um, really cared. So for me, this was a fun side project. It was a fun passion project uh, that, you know, when we, When we sold the show, I mean, and also for context, when we first sold these pieces, they were just for a couple hundred dollars. I think the most expensive one was, you know, $14.95, uh, you know, like $1,495. And that was like one of Dimitri's pieces. It was like the biggest one there. Uh, but, you know, everything there we sold for around like, you know, $700 or something. And I, I'll never forget when a collector came up to us. And this was before NFTs were around. I had done, um, I think in 2018, Yes, I did a, uh, a hackathon at MIT and that was called the Hacking Arts Hackathon. And that one was also very crypto related. That was the first time I met uh, John uh, from, from Larva Labs. Uh, he was presenting about the, the crypto punks. I met Judy Mam from uh, Dada and, you know, just kind of like meeting all these people who were making art on chain. And, and I remember having that aha moment around crypto collectibles. The idea of a collectible as like a digital asset I thought was super cool. And so when we did this event, those same people that I met at the, um, uh, at that hackathon were also here at, at the fair. And I remember seeing the Larva Labs guys and being like, what's up? This is great. We were both downstairs because we had prints of our artwork. Uh, and so because I was downstairs, upstairs, they had all the digital artwork that was like on uh, being mapped to the malls. And so because I only had prints, I was downstairs. I had a binder filled with code uh, that you could go through and see like how everything represented itself. Filled with code. Yeah, so the, so the actual code was there. Yeah, so um, instead of looking on chain, I just had a printout, and that was my way. Because uh, for me, it was always like an educational process. I understood that people were going to show up here and have no idea uh, when I said this is made with code, and because I remember not having any idea of what it all meant. And uh, you kind of need to like ground it in something. And so um, yeah, I just I had that available, and it was really great to kind of give that sort of. Um, Yeah, that, that sort of uh, um, mental map for people. And it was at this event, though, that, um, you know, I, I we we had that one piece by Dimitri that we hadn't sold. We had pretty we had sold everything except for that one piece and uh, that that expensive one. And OpenSea was sponsoring the event and everyone there was already kind of like really into crypto. And they were like, well, you should do an NFT. You should do an NFT. And I remember like my hesitation being like, well, this is more for collectibles, not for fine art. You know, like this is a fine art piece. If you looked on OpenSea at the time, it was pretty much like monsters and dragons and like weird little characters <laughs> like this. And it still is. It yeah, still is. Yeah. I mean, it still is. <laughs> it still is. But yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. So like the, that was like the, again, like me being like, ah, you know, this like a fine artwork what are we gonna do and uh we were really lucky we had an awesome collector um uh jake ruckman actually he runs a coin fund and he reached out being like i want to buy this artwork but i only want to buy the nft and i was like no i was like we printed it it's like it's <laughs> it's a it's an archival print it's in museum glass like you're gonna take the like you have to take the print you know so and i think he was trying to get a discount like oh i'll just get like the digital and you know um so The process of minting at that time was also very complicated. So this work that we minted for um, 
for like that we ended up minting on for Dimitri, the co-founder of OpenSea actually minted on Dimitri's behalf. So if you look at the artwork online right now, it'll say created by Dan, who is one of the co-founders of OpenSea. Uh, because we, we were like, what are we supposed to do? This is like, super complicated. It's like we're running out of time, all these things. And so they they minted on his behalf and um yeah, it was just a crazy experience. And I remember going to drop off the print to the collector who lived in New York at the time. Um, and that was the first time I kind of sat down with him and I was like, why on earth would you only want the digital asset? Like, what is that? Like, I can't, why? Like, I was like, I need to understand why. And um, he showed me. And so that this was the first time that I actually got to see like someone use he built out a virtual world i think in crypto voxels or one of those let's say it was crypto voxels uh if i messed that up i'm sorry uh but you know and he showed me a video uh, i mean i took a video uh but he showed me uh his gallery that he had built in there and all the nfts he had collected um and how he had displayed all of them and i was like oh this is super cool like like great but i also kind of I loved it, but I also kind of brushed it off as like, okay, this is what like the crypto nerds are up to. Like, this is great that they're into this, uh, you know? And, and I kind of just like saw it as that. I was like, okay, great. Um, but 2019, so the, the fair ended up happening in May of 2019. So 2019 though, we started kind of experimenting with this idea uh, of the NFT as a certificate of authenticity for the physical works. So in 2019, anytime I sold a work of Dimitri's, he was really the first artist that like we experimented with this, we would, the, the collector wanted the print, but I would make them buy the NFT as kind of their certificate. So we would mint the artwork, but to us, that was just a certificate of authenticity for this physical artwork that they were acquiring with the code printed out and all these things. Because remember, on-chain, the idea of on-chain work wasn't a thing yet. Uh, uh, like, Autoglyphs came out in 2019. Yeah. So... Uh, and like that summer. So the, once that was introduced and then Artblocks came a little bit later, but at that moment, that was really the, that was the mental model. Like here's the NFT, but also here's, here's the code printed out uh, and you can keep that. And everything was kind of disjointed. Um, and it was really fun. And we did another show in, in uh, December of 2019 during Art Basel Miami Art Week in Miami. Uh, we showed works by uh, Dimitri, Cherniak, Helena Saren, Manolo, or Monoloid, uh, Manolo Gambo and on. Um, uh, ben, yeah, uh, uh, ben Snell, Zach Bottorf, and uh, David Marugula. And that was also a really cool experience to just be able to talk to people. And all the works there were prints and uh, sculptures. And I remember people coming up to us someone asked me like, what are these works doing here? Because this is a digital art fair. And I remember being so happy about this question. Uh, Cause they were, it, it, they, all the works looked like they were either hand uh, they were physical. Yeah, yeah. All the uh, works were like so organic in shape. And like we had one work by Dimitri that looked like it was a uh, watercolor. Uh, and, you know, and Helena's works looked like it was made with charcoal and like, you know, things like this where people were like, why are these here? And it was like, well, thanks for asking. All this work here was made with code. And um, I think that's really been kind of like the the way we think about it, I know like curatorially, like that's how I've always really liked to think about it. I usually like stay away from anything that looked um, you know, if it was like green and black, I was like, nah, like, you know, like that kind of like a uh, traditional way of thinking about it. I always was really curious, like who is really breaking the boundaries here of like what it means to produce with code, because it is so rigid of a, of a tool in a way that like, in order for you to break those rules, you have to know it. And I think that was always something that really inspired me. Um, and why I started like the reason I started collecting, the reason I started putting up this work was because I would see these artists share online and it was like, how did you do that? Like, how did you do that? That was always like my guiding question. If I was shocked at them making that with code, I was, I was in, like they had me, you know? Yeah. And, and Sophia, you think that happened because you, you were somebody that knew how to code, right? So you understood the complexity to make those pieces right at the time. Um, that had to do with it, right? Or, or, I mean, so I guess the question is the early collectors, um, when, when these were physicals and then you were, you were there with the code printed, um, did you notice like people that got interested were those that understand, understood technology, understood code, or you actually found that it was quite, quite open and anybody was kind of interested? 
So it was a really nice mix. I would say like we definitely had collectors who were um, crypto curious, especially in those first days. We had some that were that were tech adjacent in the sense that like they worked for tech companies, but weren't necessarily developers themselves. Um, and honestly, friends and family, too, who like, you know, uh, I know the event in Miami, I had friends who ended up coming up to my event uh, and us just kind of talking about how this stuff was made and giving them that context. I think it's one of the reasons I love doing in-person exhibitions because there's nothing like having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone in front of artwork, being able to passionately explain why this is really cool. Meet them where they're at also, I think is a really important part of this, understanding what their knowledge level is of code or just art in general and being able to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations pivotal. So uh, for me, I felt like it was a really nice mix of collectors, especially in that first year where we have a lot of people who collected these artworks who know nothing about code, nothing about code, but also a few of them that do. But it was this the moment that allowed them to connect with it as an art form, understand its significance and show that by by actually acquiring it. Oh, that makes makes a lot of sense. And, and what about from the artist's side, when you when you were reaching out to to the artists um, that were working with code, with, with generative artists, and you told them, hey, um, there is this thing called NFT. So what was uh, Dimitris and, and Tyler, like, was there some resistance, maybe not from them, but from other artists? How was it in 2019? Yes. So um, that's actually a really great question because a lot of what we were doing once we decided, because so 2019, we really only did uh, uh, NFTs with Dimitri. Um, that was like, he was the one that was open to it, experimenting. 2020 was a different year. So once we hit 2020, uh, we started organizing, a, um, you know, a show for NFT Paris uh, that was also organized. I mean, uh, did I say NFT Paris? No, just in Paris. Sorry. It was the CADAF, uh, Contemporary Digital Art Fair, was going to be doing something in Paris that year. Um, and so I reached out to this artist, uh, uh, Harshi Agarwal, who's based in India. Uh, I loved his work. He He's an AI artist who is really focusing. And at that moment, a lot of the AI work, not all of it, a lot of the AI work, though, was very much focused on uh, kind of like Western ideals. You saw a lot of, you know, Renaissance-esque paintings and stuff like this. What I loved about his work was that it was really focused on Eastern culture, religion, uh, his Hindu culture and things like this. And I really wanted to, to highlight that um, and kind of show a different side to this AI work that we were all seeing. Um, and... COVID hit. Uh, so obviously the fair got canceled. Uh, so the, they decided to put everything online. And at this moment, we were going to be doing a series of prints um, and kind of like these painting sorts of things. Um, and the online fair, to be honest, is a complete bust. Um, we didn't sell anything. Uh, the, the user experience wasn't really like it. And at that moment, we had always sold out our shows. And so this is the first time that I was like, okay, we're not taking no for an answer. We got to figure something out here. And so I reached out to the artist and just asked him, like, would you be open to to minting these works on Super Rare? Because I was really uh, close with the Super because Rare team. It was a digital, it was a digital show, but it it was minted. It was just the showcasing the art digitally. Yeah, yeah, it was just but showcasing. You had to buy yeah. the physical. Yeah, uh, so okay, it would be okay. you would be buying a print. Uh, so we were going to do some that were editions and then other ones that once you bought it, um, he would print it and then he would paint over certain areas while keeping like the highly pixelated areas that you could like tell is uh, is AI. Um, and so that was kind of the concept that you would buy these artworks, but you were buying a physical. Uh, again, with like certificates of authenticity and all of this stuff. Um, so... We decided like let's just experiment let's put one of these works let's put them uh on on super rare and see what happens and so we decided to so i reached out to my friends at super rare and i was like hey i have this artist um because uh, i met them at that first event in 2018 when i learned about the fair um so you know we had become close at that moment so they did me the favor of whitelisting or allow listing this artist um to, to mint on the works so he minted his works and we decided uh through their recommendation they were like don't put any price points let people bid and just let's see let do some price discovery there every single piece that we had as an nft with zero zero mention of a of a physical or anything every single piece sold for more than we were planning on selling the physical artworks 
that to me was a massive, massive moment, uh, just in terms of like on, on like on the business set, on everything. Like I dropped my commission. Um, I didn't have, cause before I was upfronting costs to produce the work. Uh, this is like the pro of working at a, at a bank at the, at the moment I was, uh, bankrolling, you know, the, the exhibition costs, the production, the shipping, like everything, everything. So at this moment it was like, okay, we can mint your work. We can send it to the, the, the person buys it. They get it instantly. I'm not paying for production. I'm not paying for shipping. It's like, it was just like, right. it, it was just such a, like, a, a, well, of course, yeah. like it, it was just Basically like, basically no cost. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was, I, I, I was talking to Seth. So Seth from uh, bright moments, he was on the show and he also mentioned that and like the logistics are yeah. so much simpler, right? So you, much simpler work with NFTs and digital. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so the, yeah, the, that the, was a pros and cons. An, it yeah. opened your eyes completely. completely. Yeah, it I opened mean, your eyes completely. Absolutely, and so that was the year that we decided to uh, focus then on NFT curation and and putting more artists on on there. And so um, we did a sh so in 2020, and this is where um, now kind of what you were you were alluding to earlier around like onboarding artists and teaching them about NFTs. So um, then this is the year that we decided that we wanted to move forward with more uh, um, curation on the NFT side. And we did something for the New Year's that year. Um, and that was that was really fun. So I did a curation of works from Dimitri, this artist, uh, uh, Dave White, who goes by Dave Bees and Bombs on, or I think he just goes by Bees and Bombs online, but he's amazing, amazing, amazing artist. I've been following for a really long time, but he, he was like, uh, uh, we did Helena Sarin again with Manolo. Um, and who else, who else? There must have been some other artists, but you know, it was it was a small curation that we did that was really fun. But I remember Dave, especially, you know, getting him on a call, having to help him set up a MetaMask, walking him through absolutely everything, trying to kind of also convince him. And uh, it was it was a really cool moment. We ended up selling a few of these pieces to the Museum of Crypto Art, um, and at that time, uh, it was Pablo Rodriguez Frail who ended up buying a lot of Dimitri's and Dave's works. Um, and it was a really cool. It was just a really cool experiment. And again, like we didn't pay for, for shipping or anything. It was, it was, it was awesome. And so the reason it's important to remember that like around uh, Dimitri, like uh, 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 Pablo buying Dimitri's work is because just a few, then we hit 2021. We all remember 2021. This is the crazy year. Um, at this moment, I have switched over to the blockchain team at JP Morgan as like on the founding member side, um, kind of helping them out uh, on as a technical design strategist and, uh, you know, working with them, all these things. Great. Still doing RX code on the side. Um, and we start to see art blocks kick off. In, I think it was February, Ringers came out and that was something when he, when he said that he was going to be doing Ringers, it was like, great, how can we help? We did an interview um, that kind of got shared around and it was really allowed people to understand like what Ringers was and what he was trying to accomplish with that. Um, and so everything pops off. Uh, JPEG summer, we all remember, it was awesome. Um, we, everyone's like having a great time and, and uh, kind of learning all these people who are into generative art. But then we see the auction houses come in. Um, and I remember Sotheby's doing a curation and I was getting, I was getting um, frustrated at this moment because I'm seeing people uh, come into the space, really trying to make some money and uh, sh showcasing work, but like doing it in just like such a poor way. And it was, it was, I was annoyed, but seeing the Sotheby show really, um, really killed me for multiple reasons. So, uh, and, and, and it's not that, uh, it was that it was getting sold. I was really happy to see him, uh, you know, I, and I know it was really big for him to be, uh, to have his work at Sotheby's. It was just the way that it was displayed really, really angered me. Um, it was a work that I had curated. I felt very, very, uh, connected to it, uh, understood its beauty really understand. And it was a square work and they put it up on a, on a 16 by nine TV screen on a stand. You saw the black bars, you saw this and it sold for, a, I mean, it sold for over a million dollars. Um, I know. And, and, and I love the collector who bought it. They were, they're, um, like great people. And, but, Thank God that, you know, they, the collector understood what was going on because to me, from the outside looking in, it looked like a joke. 
it looked like a joke. And it, that really got me angry because it's like, you know, I've spent so much time, um, I mean, small in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, I had spent time really trying to show people how incredible generative art is, how um, important it is. And then you just kind of, you're like, it's digital art. We show it on a digital screen. It just was lazy. And it really put a fire under under me to just go for it. And so that was when I decided, okay, I reached out to, to Eric from Art Blocks and I was like, I want to do a crazy show for Art Basel. I want to do a massive show for Art Basel. And he was like, okay, let me know how I can support. And so that's when I decided I was going to leave JP Morgan and focus on doing, I had already seen all of these artists I had been working with absolutely killing it. Cause then we had Fidenzas come out. We had, you know, Helena was doing great. All these artists that like I had been working with in these early days were doing wonderfully. So I was like, okay, you know what? screw it, let's do it. Um, and so I quit my job and just went to go, just went off on organizing this event that I called the digital. And so for me, the idea was, uh, the SEO probably wasn't that great, but the idea was walking, creating a space where you, you could walk into like this digital world that we have been living in, but doing it in a way that, uh, to me actually respected the artist and the art. And just, it was like, uh, it was like my love letter to the community. I would say. So it was in a way, it, it was a way to display digital art physically, but properly, right? Like the, the, with all the stories and the right setup and depending on each artwork, there were the particularly this, right? Different from just a TV screen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so that's the, what, what was the, how do you do, will you describe that show, the difference between that show and what you saw at Sotheby's? Well, I think it was really thinking about the artists first, their intentions first. Uh, you know, I, I use Casey Reyes's work as a really good example. Sentries, they're circular, they're animated. Um, and thinking about how to showcase that work, I started thinking about it. I'm like, am I going to build portholes? Am I going to do, like, what am I going to do? And I was like, wait, let me just reach out to him. Um, and so when I reached out to him, he had an entire, like, all these examples of what how he envisioned it, which was creating these circular um, um like discs on the wall mounted and then you projection map onto those uh those discs and it's like of course like of course that's like that that makes so much sense and so talking to him about it like that we we could work with our production team we got that done and it looked beautiful the same thing with jeff davis's work where you know we were trying to debate which ones are going to be on screens which ones are going to be printed um and jeff was like well look color studies are a study of digital colors. You cannot print them, it decouples them from their actual purpose, which is looking at digital digital color. Um, and there were some other artists where, you know, they, to they totally took my recommendation where, you know, I thought the Fidenza, I thought that the uh, subscapes would look, and Himmins would look really, really great printed because you could see the detail in a way that you don't always see on your computer. And so that allowed people to go in and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize that this actually had this much detail. I didn't realize that this looks so soft. Um, and then the, 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 the curveball of all of them was uh, the chromy squiggle where I was like, Eric, can you please let me showcase this work as a hologram? And he was like, uh, sure. Yeah. So we did work with a, a third party artist to make it into 3D uh, render where they were and, and Eric worked with them to make sure that it, it was accurate. But for me, it was kind of all I wanted was it to feel like this artifact that you could walk around and, you know, kind of when we go to a museum and we'll see like a vase or some old, uh, you know, some old artifact from who knows when. And, you know, it really did have that effect. And that's all I wanted. And I was really lucky that Eric was was open to the idea. But again, it's always having conversations with the artists and understanding what they want to do and also understanding like the people who are looking at it like what is what is the goal of putting up this artwork in the first place is to make people connect with it to understand with, to understand it the best that they can and to see maybe what you can't when you're just on your computer to really help contextualize the movement that was happening um and it was i mean to this day still one of like the proudest moments of my life it took a lot out of me i think that like it's taken a year and a half for me to be like okay because i really didn't have like a full team at the time it was just me and you know a few a few people like just trying to to make it happen um and yeah it was it was it's it was awesome 
is there is there is there a way to is are there videos Sophia of yeah, this show yeah, that yeah. you can include in the description okay, oh absolutely awesome. I have one on YouTube uh, that I can I can send over to you uh, that that really helps kind of put you in the space I mean I went crazy I even got custom fragrance for the space like so when you walked in like it smelled good like I went absolutely wild but it was <laughs> the best thing ever yeah that sounds that sounds amazing I mean it, it you can feel how you really enjoyed that um, process right the coordination and, and the preparing a show and maybe that takes me to to my next question so if we flash forward because we we were talking about the story right how artex code uh, started and kind of the the introduction to blockchain art right the early days at the first shows so today um how would you define artex code because I, i've seen many things right you are doing shows, yeah. you are doing releases, but you are also representing artists, right? So can you tell us a bit about what's Artex Code today? Absolutely. So it's always been a conversation because what it, what it has been has been uh, really my creative outlet for a really long time. It was just like, what do I want to do? This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it under Artex Code. Um, Seb and I stopped working together, uh, I'd say, in 2021, I believe, or, or yeah, or 2020, 2021. Um, he's now at Christie's. Um, and so I was kind of like experimenting this, like, you know, and, and seeing what was working. And then last year, um, Last year, I was with uh, Tony uh, Marinero, who is one of my really good friends, um, and his wife is one of my best friends since middle school, high school. And while I was with them, uh, you know, and at that moment last year, where are we now? 2023. Yeah. 2021, 2022. I was doing a lot of like advisory, you know, yeah, like almost help. 2024. I know. My God, this time is going crazy. Uh, but, you know, uh, w once I started working with Tony, uh, I mean, I, I started staying with Tony and he, we had two artists reach out to him while I was staying with him. One was Martin Grasser being like, hey, man, like you do so like such a thank you so much for all the things that you like, you know, how you how you like, you know, promote my work. Like, have you ever thought about like artist representation? And I remember him looking at me being like, Martin, like, Marty just asked me to represent him. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy. Like, I was like, you should consider it. You know, you're working as an attorney right now. Why not? And then the next day, Lars Wander reaches out to him being like, hey, like, you know, would you be open to representing me? You do such a good job of, and so he looked at me and I was like, oh my God. And we were kind of like, you know, and he's like, should we join forces? And like, you know, because at that moment, what I really loved doing was working with artists on a product by project basis, uh, either through my own curation or they were working on something and I could just advise them and I would take a commission. So I was doing that, but more so on kind of like ad hoc, like, oh yeah, like let's do this and we'll work on this together. Um, and so once Tony and I decided to work together like this, uh, that really helped kind of frame everything together because one thing that I've always wanted to kind of stay away from was just saying we're a gallery. Uh, to me, that pigeonholes um, what I'm able to do, what the team's able to do. I really love to be um, experimental. And people have really kind of pushed back when I when I say certain terms. Uh, you know, that's, there was also when we kind of released, we started saying agency, but the term that's always really stuck to me is this idea of a generative art house. For me, I love this idea of, of artists being able to come to Artix Code. They have a home. We're here to represent them in the sense. And when I mean representation, it's really be out, like have their best interests. We have their best interests. So we're negotiating contracts for them. We're helping them out with curation. Um, you know, we're doing like, I'm always happy to sit down with them and do a critique or kind of go through their work and help kind of pull out, um, you know, the, the best in them. You know, that's really what I've always loved doing, understanding an artist's uh, uh, practice and really pushing them um, and trying to push their boundaries as much as, as possible. Um, and then, you know, we do uh, we do we do sales at, at times, you know, we'll do private sales or we'll do sales with like certain collectors. Um, and then we do advisory for different institutions. So we work really closely with uh, different museums with different galleries, with different whoever it may be to really help um, help their understanding of what generative art is and what uh, the world of Web3 means, you know? Um, and so we're kind of this, again, this like this, this gathering place for all these kind of like like-minded, yet very, very different um, artists and collectors and enthusiasts and really just help kind of like prop the the conversation around generative art up that's always been kind of my mission where um it's you know how can how can i um be this kind of like corner of the internet this like elegant corner of the internet dedicated to uh you know cr just 
creative coding, uh, you know, as, as an art form. I've always really loved it. Yeah. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I, I think about the artists and it's really like a 360, 360 support system, right? Because the team is capable of handling, as you said, the legal, the legal aspect, right? The, all these contracts, um, negotiating with other, other institutions. But at the same time, you can also go and, and talk art, right? And, and critic and try to improve the, the artwork itself. So that's uh, fantastic. And what, what would you say, Sophia? I mean, you have worked with so many artists and they are all super talented, and, I mean, uh, across the years. What would you say are the challenges, like the, the biggest challenges today for generative artists? I think the biggest challenge has to be just, um, how fast this has all happened um, and the speed, uh, the expectations around that, I think have been really intense for a lot of artists. Um, and so, and I think especially because generative art itself, the term has become quite the buzzword. And so you see a lot of people um, who were interested in crypto or interested, just kind of curious being like, oh, well, generative art, generative art, everyone loves generative art, da, 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 da. And so now all these generative artists have, a lot of people in their inbox, uh, just like kind of reaching out to them, like, hey, we'd love to work with you. Hey, we'd love to work with you. And they're inundated with all these different opportunities with people who are trying to ride the wave of, of generative art, you know? And um, it's, it's, I mean, I've seen a lot of really great, like newcomers come in and they're really passionate about it. And like, you know, but there's also a lot of, and like being able to basically differentiate between like who could potentially be a grifter, who's serious about this? What are the terms? Are you getting the short end of the stick? Um, do, do the, like, do the finances make sense on your side? Um, and really just, again, looking out for artists. Cause for me, I feel like um, kind of like a protector, a guardian of this, like of the movement, honestly, as a whole, you know, I've been here for a while and I just genuinely care like a lot so it's like like back up like you know like what's up like do you if you want to work with the artist like let's let's actually see a deal that makes sense let's make sure like and i always tell the artist like if it's not excuse my friend but if it's not a fuck yeah then like you know it's usually a no um you know you don't have to say yes to everything and this is where the speed comes into play where you know everyone's like well if i don't do this like maybe people will forget about me but there is for me it's not how much money can we make this year it's how how sustainable is your career for the next decade for the next two decades you know it's there's there's a long-term approach that you have to think about where it's not just let's get rich quick like that's never like that just doesn't work i really like again i came into this this entire industry thinking that it was going to be 15 20 years before anyone cared uh the fact that it happened within a five-year period is in, still insane to me and so um you know i always try to like push back on artists where like they just saw this all-time high record and all stuff it's like we have to be like just patience like patience is really important and big and and making really you know strategic moves uh is really the way that i think about it and sophia what is, what is how does that look for an artist I, I agree completely when i see like the cadence of some of the releases right and managing i think one of the ways uh, to to as you said think about their careers in the long term is managing their supply right so is that something that you think about and that that artists and, and also you have this caution like managing the supply and and or how do you approach that is it is it important in your opinion to you know be careful on how much art you release or as long as it's high quality it's okay okay yeah i think that supply is like one part of the equation um i would say that you know Again, this idea of like, rule of thumb where like you want to keep your supply low, but there's there is a balance at play here. Um, and one of the um, counterexamples to this is uh, Willie Mapan, who I think has done, and even uh, Tyler Hobbs over the last few years, who have done a really good job of really keeping uh, haven't like necessarily kept their supply very low. Uh, they they are they are releasing work pretty consistently, uh, high quality work really consistently, and also kind of at high levels. You can see what uh, William's done over the last year where, um, you know, he's, he's put out a lot of work and I don't think that it's really been to his detriment. Uh, so, um, but at the same time, you find other artists who who do something and then you start hearing the collectors, oh, their supply, they're, they're flooding their supply. So it is really kind of this, um, 
it's like the people's court in a way. The second someone's like, oh, there's too much supply or there's too much, like you kind of get people uh, like talking. And, and that's one of the pros and cons is like the, the digital aspect of this, where it's kind of like the communication's quite flat in a way where it's not siloed. Everyone's talking online and everyone's kind of, and everyone can hear that those opinions, whether they're warranted or not. And so um, I think for me, the way that I, you know, for not even me, just like the Arctic Co team as a whole, Tony, myself, uh, you know, we're really thinking about um, what are the ways that we can kind of uh, differentiate the the access that people have to the artist's artwork. So we're not just focusing strictly on Web3 um, collectors and Web3 experiences, though we understand the importance of like working with our direct community but you know for example we have itzel uh, ix shells now in uh in copenhagen she's doing a residency with their museum there with the smk um you know we have we work a lot you know we we had sasha linda and it's all kind of participate in the moma um experience we you know we we are trying to you know we work with different collectors outside of uh you know, our, again, our space. And so we are trying to get them into these, these situations where it's not really always about sales, but around, again, like the storytelling, being able to ground uh, their, their artistic practice and have that story over the next few years, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's these things that kind of build on top of each other and not rushing, you know, it's, it's, to me, I don't care if you're selling for a million dollars right now. Like that, that is not at all what what constitutes being a successful artist. What experiences are you like? What institutions are you working with? Because um, museums, I think, are a really important part of culture and society as a whole. Um, you know, what what um, what is your story? What are you trying to say with your artwork? Um, and trying to find those people who under who understand you. I think that being very intentional about what projects you you say yes to i think is, is is just really important you know so we we try to to find a balance between all of these where it's like okay if we're doing a lot of uh web3 focus initiatives right now okay cool who are we going to talk to what um what talk are we gonna are you gonna participate in or what um again it's not just sales i think is the point and i think it's uh because business uh the idea that artists are business businesses themselves artists are are entrepreneurs okay and so um if your art is your business marketing is a huge part of that and i think that there is this misconception where you can create artwork mint it and people will buy it and it's not that easy like you do need to have stories you need to be talking to people you need to be educating people as to why why they should care about your work like what what it, what is behind it like what what are you trying to say and um it can't just be i made it with code that's not enough you know what i mean um and so yeah we try to really think holistically about their careers and try to put them in positions that uh we think will like build um on on top of each other so that you know when the time is right or whatever it may be that we'll just see like nice growth for them over the next few years that's a great great advice and and you know we we have been talking almost for an hour, Sophia. So I have two two final questions. So one, the first one is for emerging artists, right? That are there, uh, you know, creating maybe on Web3, maybe not, but they are, you know, doing generative art, they are coding, and they would like to, at some point, be represented by somebody like, like you and RxCode. So what will be your advice for them if they are early on in their career and how, how can they do it right? What are the, the steps that you think should be made? Uh, and yeah, what, what do you look at when you, when you curate and look for artists? Yeah, I mean, I think especially if you're early on in your career, experiment. Oh my God, experiment so much. Just have so much fun getting lost in everything because that's where the magic happens. And through there, you start to find your voice. But in the beginning, do everything, experiment with everything, um, and share share your work. Share your work online. That doesn't mean mint it. It means share it. Uh, you know, share what you're working on. Share your ideas. Share your thoughts. If it's writing, if it's if it's just ch chatting with other artists, whether you want to do that on Twitter or in a Discord where you feel a little bit more um, uh, uh, comfortable, maybe safer. I don't know, but um, the community is amazing. Uh, the group of artists that are out there are all so kind and so cool. And I think it's important to remember that 
all of us, especially in the beginning, were hobbyists. Um, this was something that we just did because we loved it. We did not think that there was any money involved whatsoever. So um, have fun with it and, you know, try to figure out your, uh, again, patience is, is key. Have fun with it. Start to do whatever it is that you want, build and make ugly things, make ugly things, make things that your code, maybe your code looks disgusting. Who cares? Like that, it, it comes later, you know, like you, you, it, it all kind of, it, you will find your way. But in the meantime, just start throwing things together and figure it out. Um, and then, you know, cause I, what I love about the artists that we work with is that they're all very experimental and they're always trying new things. And also one of the key points of this is that we're not reaching out to artists out of nowhere and being like, like with these certain demographic or like, you know, these certain uh, uh, checklists, like you've made this much, you've done this. No, no, no. These are personal relationships that we've made over the last few years. I've seen them grow as artists. Um, I'll use like Luke Shannon as a perfect example where uh, I've known him since since he put out the opera and we've had multiple conversations. And it was always like, yeah, it would be really nice to work together. Um, and he had kind of waited like a year. Um, I hadn't really seen much come out from him. And so he had reached out be wanting to work together. And it was like, okay, well, why don't we do a, a studio visit so I can see what you've been working on? And once I saw, I saw all the things that he had been experimenting with, it was like, I'm sending you a contract right now, right now you need to be signed because it's just so incredible what you're working on and how out of the box you're thinking about things. So to me, it's like really pushing the boundaries of what this medium can do um, and seeing how artists are putting in their own voice. I think having a voice is very important and it takes time to develop your own voice in such a public arena like this. Um, so that's really what I'm, you know, those are some of the things that I'm looking for. And also um, not to be uh, understated, just being a kind person. Um, and, you know, I think that's also really important to kind of being, being fun to work with, knowing how to take uh, criticism, uh, not being, uh, you know, um, not being so defensive because anyone who's working with you or, you know, at least on our side, on the agent side, like we only want what's best. And we always want to, to work with people who are kind, even as much as like being kind to servers when you go out, you know, when you're out at dinner, you know, it's things like that. We want to work with kind, great people. Um, and so that's, uh, I think, that, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Th those are, yeah. those are, I mean, great points. Um, some I, I didn't think about previously, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Sophia, I'm going to put you in a tough spot. So I usually ask um, guests this question, which is like name three artists that inspire you. And I know it's hard because you represent many artists and you have worked with so many. But yeah, you can you can uh, feel free to to mention anyone you know Web three okay. or not Web three that inspire you. Could be emerging, could be established. Is up to you <laughs> um uh, okay um it is hard i will i'll try to be I'll, i'll actually say artists that i don't represent um uh oh no but sasha i love sasha so much um i'll start off with sasha actually i lied so sasha has just completely changed my i've, I've always loved poetry um I've, and i've always loved uh like prose but the way that she's been able to really bring this to life in the way that she's explored technology as part of her practice. As someone who genuinely loves languages, she studied at Harvard and Oxford, just like, like language. She is someone who's fascinated by it and the way that she's using AI and the way she has been using AI for the last few years um, is amazing. And um, I just think she's a genius. And then Maya, uh, Maya Mann, who I absolutely adore. The first time we met was in 2019 at a processing uh, community day. And I just remember her giving a talk and um, her talking about how much she loved dance. And I used to do uh, dance and competitive cheerleading and all these things, but was also a developer. And so I remember finding her and being like, oh my God, another one, like someone like me, you know, someone that I could relate to who is just <laughs> so cool and doing amazing things. And she's also just such a genius. Um, Maya will always be i will always be such a fangirl uh for maya and i can't wait to see like like her career is going to be amazing and then you know she's been there since the very beginning with me i'd say uh helena Saren. Uh, uh she is absolutely amazing she is one of the ogs of ogs when it comes to um gans uh you know i, I there she's just the best uh and she's always experimenting yeah like those three i have to say i mean there's so many more like i love it so i love i love everyone on my roster like we're obsessed like 
obsessed I mean obviously I like we've gone through like we have I, I work with them I have to be obsessed with them uh but I would say yeah, the, like those three are just like really special um and doing really doing their own thing and again have their voices you know um I think those are really good examples of people who you see their work you know it's them yeah it's very unique right it's a very unique very very different from everything else when you think about them those three three artists and Sasha was in the podcast and I had a great conversation and I have Helena's Helena's book uh, with Dimitri, right? The one that uh, oh, yes. was uh, signed. Gents was again. It, was it New York City? New York City. Yes, right? yes. New York so City. I, yeah. I worked with yeah. them on that on that book and curated. So he did what? It was like a thousand to fifteen hundred per output, and then her outputs. And so I helped curate the dialogue between all the artworks there because those are two artists that I've been working with for so long. You know, um, it was um, and it was amazing to bring that book together and get so many talented people to to um contribute so it's one of those things i yeah i helena's and she's hilarious like i mean that, that's she's like her and maya have so much humor in their work which i think is like really um enjoyable when like there's so much craziness going on in the world when you can see an artwork resonate with it because it's genius but also have so much fun with it because it's hilarious you know uh i think they both kind of like love the absurd which i definitely resonate with yeah no thanks Sophia, thanks so much for, for sharing your journey. It was very, very exciting yeah. hearing from you all the things you have done and what you're working on. Sounds, sounds, I mean, I, I cannot wait to see where Art X Code is in the future and all the artists that you are representing. Yeah. So fantastic job, Sophia. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I hope we thank can do this so again in the future. Me too. No, this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, this has been wonderful. Thanks for giving me the space, really. All right. Bye-bye, Sofia. Ciao.